I was joking with Kent this morning saying that I'm going to preach the way you do. I'm going to have a more extended introduction and then the scripture will be read. So there's still room to learn. In a newsletter associated with the radio program On Being, hosted by Krista Tippett, editor Kristen Lynn wrote, One of the central animating questions of the On Being project is, what does it mean to be human? She's collected responses given to this question on their program over the years, and she says that each answer is beautiful in its own right, the culmination of a life shaped by generations and geography, struggle and wisdom. Here are three quotes that she included in her article, the first by poet Gregory Orr. And to really get the magnitude of their quote, you need to know something of their life story, but I don't have time to tell you all that. Orr says, to be a human is to be continually at risk. Risk is our existential condition. None of us knows what's going to happen next. And then civil rights lawyer and author of The New Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander, said, what it means to be f- fully human is to, be op- is to open ourselves to fully loving one another in an unsentimental way. We suffer, we love, we struggle We fail, and then we love again. And I think trying not to imagine that we're anything more or less than that as human beings struggling to love and find our way, making mistakes, but still yearning for a deeper connection and a sense of purpose in our lives is what human being, of what being human is all about. And then she ends with poet John O'Donohue who says the beauty of being human is that we are incredibly intimately near each other. We know about each other, but yet we do not know or never can know what it's like to live inside another person. This question of what it means to be human is an important one for us to reflect upon and for anyone In fact, it's a wonderful question to ask a friend sometime when you're at lunch or um, you're meeting up together. Say, you know, I'm curious, what do you think it means to be human? I think it's also important how we articulate our faith because it helps us make sense of our lives. Today, I want to consider this question from the point of view of death. And you're thinking, oh, great. It's an important question because death is inevitable and it's unpredictable. And yet it prompts us to know what life means for us, both before and after. Is there hope for some form of life or existence beyond the grave? As we know, some think this life is all there is, and that like a light bulb or a battery, when its shelf life ends... It's all over. Others, like ancient Greek philosophers Socrates and Plato, believe in the immortality of the soul, that the soul has an eternal essence, but in this life, it's been confined in a body, imprisoned, as it were. 
And death is then a friend. It's the great liberator that sets the soul free to return to its eternal home. Others from Eastern perspectives believe in reincarnation, the consecutive movement of the soul from one bodily human life form to another for the purpose of working its way back to its original home of oneness with the universe. The belief in resurrection offers a completely different view of life and death. The Bible views death not as a friend or a liberator of the soul, nor as some mere turnstile or transition. Death in Scripture is the enemy, the great enemy. As the, it is the consequence of sin, and therefore it is the great enemy of God who is the creator of life and wants to see life flourish in all of its beauty and glory. And just as death is the unmaking of God's creation, resurrection hope will be its remaking. Few people in the first century regarded resurrection of the dead as a possibility. The Apostle Paul addressed Christians in Corinth who posed this very question. He argued that the reality of the resurrection is at the heart of Christian faith. If you take that away, it all unravels. By raising Jesus from the dead, God has reversed the verdict of the court, which found Jesus guilty of being an imposter. Christ's resurrection is God's vindication that Jesus truly is the Messiah. Jesus' death turns out not to have been some tragedy, some devastating end, but rather God's unique means of dealing with the sin of the world. And this is where we now pause to hear what Paul says to the Corinthians, and I've also added a portion of from Romans 8 where he addresses the question of resurrection life there as well. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have lived then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead must also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so those who, those who are dust, and is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability. This mortal body must put on immortality. Then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. Christianity isn't a set of ideas or a path of spirituality or a rule of life or some political agenda. It includes and gives meaning to all of these, but at its heart it is good news, good news of an event which has happened in the world, and because of it, the world will never be the same. There is hope for change in the condition of our human um, um, path and direction and life. There is hope that, that the, the sense of finiteness and mortality and the morbidness of death can be reversed, can be, can be reclaimed by God. All those who believe in the resurrection and live by it are never the same again either. Paul began his argument with a contrary to fact uh, proposition. He imagines what it would mean if the resurrection never happened at all. With an if-then clause, he posits, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then he isn't the Messiah. The witness and testimony of all of us apostles is false. And Jesus' cross has no effect whatsoever. Sin has not been dealt with, and the world is still as it always has been. What is at stake is not just a wrong belief, some erroneous idea, but faith that has lost all power. Paul spells the implications out for the Corinthian believers. Your faith then is worthless and you're still in your sin. Christians who have died in the meantime are dead and gone. And if if this is all there is, then followers of Jesus are most to be pitied. But the point of the resurrection isn't The same as saying that death isn't so bad after all, or that after death we go into some other realm called heaven. No, the point of the resurrection is its defeat of death. 
Since death is the unmaking of God's creation, resurrection offers hope that all things can be made new again. That God in his power, who raised Jesus from the dead, can raise each of us to new life as well. Can restore the decline and the decay of all creation. Christ's resurrection guarantees the same for all of his followers. Just as we experience death through our identification and solidarity with Adam, so through faith we overcome death by our identity with Christ. The reality of his resurrection promises and secures the future resurrection of all who belong to him. This is why every time we have a a funeral memorial at this church, we always have as part of the heading, a, this is a service of worship and witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, because our hope isn't in the fact that a person has led a good life. Our hope is in the fact that Christ has changed the outcome of our world forever. And that that resurrection hope is something that we live for and live by. Paul says three things about the nature of resurrection I want us not to miss. The first is that it's a bodily resurrection. We affirm that this morning in the Apostles' Creed when we said, I believe in the, um, the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, not the soul, not the resurrection of something, but the resurrection of the body. Second, the resurrected body has continuity with our present bodies, but also is contrasted to our present bodies. Some of you, that's some of us. I meant to include myself. That's very good news. Um, Number three, Resurrection hope is both an already and a not yet reality. All right, I want to go back and look at these in more detail. First, that the Christian and Jewish belief makes a distinction between body and soul. But unlike the Greek dichotomy, as if they're opposites or in opposing, um, as if one is good and one is bad, they consider the soul to be good and the body bad. And, and so there's a disconnect. And so the whole idea is to free the soul. And so in that sense, the Greeks uh, looked at death with a sense of, of hopefulness. Um, but in Hebrew and Christian thought, the soul and the body are interconnected. They're interrelated. Both belong together. We are a soul. We are a body. The contrast, then, is rather between the creation that has become corrupted and delivered over to death by sin versus the new creation that is considered incorruptible, imperishable, as a result of God's animating Holy Spirit at work. So it is a bodily resurrection we believe in and long for and hope for. Second, Paul says the resurrected body has continuity with our existing human human bodies, yet is somehow different. It's not a matter of resuscitation of the old, but a transformation into something new. 
think of it this way. It's not like we have to decide, gee, what, what period of life is my body going to look like? The other day I got one of those new um, DMV IDs, and they took a new picture, but I liked the old one so much better. <laughs> and that's the resurrected body I'm hoping for, that one. Um, yeah, here's, here's how Paul uses a metaphor to help us get at what this might mean. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the message I think really explains it clearly. This is from Corinthians. He says, what does this resurrection body look like? There are no no diagrams for this kind of thing, but we do have a parallel experience in gardening. uh, You plant a dead seed, and soon there's a flourishing plant. There's no visual likeness between seed and plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato's seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrected body that comes from it will be dramatically different. This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is but a mere sketch at best. The corpse The corpse that's planted is no beauty, but when it's raised, it is glorious. Put in the ground weak, it comes up powerful. The seed sown is natural. The seed grown is supernatural. Same seed, same body, but what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality to when it's raised up in spiritual immortality. Notice it's not the immortality of the soul, the nature of the soul that is immortal, but rather it is made to be immortal when enlivened by God. Paul speaks of a continuity and a contrast. The continuity is between between who and what we are in the present and who and what we will be in the future. It's not that our present bodies are physical and our resurrected bodies will be spiritual as if they're not physical, but rather Paul's contrasting a body that's been animated by one type um, versus that animated by another. One is a human life force with circulating blood and breath. The resurrected body is animated by the Spirit of God. Thirdly, Paul saw the resurrection of Christ as already the transformative event and marked a turning point in history and signals God's culminating but not yet finished purpose for all of creation. In other words, we live between the times. Jesus' death and resurrection brought the future forward in time so that everything that the gospel proclaims that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is is something we anticipate and begin to experience even here and now. We don't wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit at the end of life. The Holy Spirit comes in to those who proclaim faith in Jesus Christ. And if that same Spirit is at work in you that raised Jesus from the dead, then he's also going to bring about your resurrection as well. But that hasn't happened yet. That's yet to come.
But what has happened is that that sense of what it means to live a resurrected life has already taken hold in this world. Our bodily resurrection awaits the return of Christ when the kingdom of God is unveiled on earth and God's heavenly rule and reality will be complete. Death is still the enemy, but it's been defeated. It just hasn't been abolished yet. It's the difference between uh, scholars and theologians of the of the period of the uh, Second World War like to describe it this way. It's the difference between D-Day and V-Day. When D-Day happened and the troops uh, converged in Europe, everyone knew the war was over. But there were still more battles. And in fact, more lives were lost from that point to the end than that had occurred the prior three years. And yet everyone knew it signaled the end. That's exactly what Jesus' death and resurrection means. It's a signal that the end, the war's over, but there's still more battle ahead. Jesus will have, at that time, when the end comes, will have defeated his enemy, including the last enemy, which is death. And God's ongoing work in the meantime leads to that goal as an end-of-the-age event. So we wait in hope. This is what the Scripture refers to as the blessed hope, or what Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, he said in Romans that our human condition is such that we fall short of the glory of God because of sin. But the day will come when that glory will be made full and complete. Sin leads to death. And were it not for God's grace in Jesus Christ, sin would have the last word. But sin's power was broken by Christ's death and resurrection. And as followers of Jesus, we know the freedom from that power that liberation from sin's grip. The resurrection means sin and death does not have the last word. God does. Amen.